0: When I was a freshman going into college, I had a great group of friends that I developed over my high school years, um, guys I just really enjoyed. We grew in our faith, especially the last couple of years in high school together. And so I went into college really, I didn't think I needed much in terms of community. I was set, and I was an introvert, so I wasn't highly motivated to go knocking on doors or to open my door so that other people... Uh, could meet me. Um, I went to Christian Challenge, the campus ministry at Wichita State, uh, because, you know, it seems like a good thing to do. And everyone there seemed to know everyone else. And if you couple that with my introvertedness and my lack of desire to meet new people, um, it really wasn't all that enjoyable. It really wasn't all that comfortable. I didn't feel like I fit. Um, We'd have these awkward conversations in the lobby. Oh, and a couple, to, to make matters worse, I would uh, get there early because I liked getting places early. <laughs> it was a habit. So I'd get there early, right? And then I'd be like, what am I going to do here for the next 15 minutes before this thing starts? Uh, I don't know. So I just kind of loitered around the lobby. And, uh, you know, people were friendly, so they'd come up to me and say, oh, so what's your name? What are you majoring in? I was planning on majoring in accounting, so I said, "Oh, ma- planning to major in accounting." They say, "Oh, so you like numbers?" And I'm like, not really. <laughs> um, so I just have these awkward lobby conversations uh, because I got there early, and I'd be standing around, and what am I gonna do? Okay, I'll go get a drink of water. That'll make you know, give me something to do, <laughs> make me look a little bit busy. Um, it provided temporary reprieve from my wandering, and. Then uh, you get enough drinks of water and you got to go to the bathroom. And then I was like, oh, the bathroom. That's a much longer reprieve. Plus, I can shut myself in there. <laughs> so, no lie, I would stay in the bathroom a lot longer than I had to. <laughs> and that's okay. You can laugh. It's, it's great. Uh, it's funny now. So, ben, you might be wondering, Ben, why did you keep going? and the the answer i mean there's many factors but the answer really boils down to one guy who invested in my life and his encouragement for me to grow in my walk with god was unlike anything i'd ever had before and that one man sorry <laughs> turned into two that two men turned into four four men turned into a dozen doesn't turned into a college ministry. Now, I didn't know everyone, of course. And that college ministry turned into a church. And now it's turned into another church. So I don't know all of you. Uh, I didn't know everyone at River, didn't know everyone at Challenge, but I love them, I love you all a lot. And frequently when I get home on Sundays after lunch and uh, especially it's more likely after a nap, um, I tell Rose and I tell the Lord, man, I really love this church. So here's the point of that story. If I'd have stayed in my comfort zone, if I'd have kept my old priorities of like, oh, I've got friends, I'm good to go. I've got community, I'm good to go. And just rush through school, do what seems best according to my wisdom, the world's wisdom, I'd have missed out if I'd have just done what seemed best to me instead of learning to hear from God on my life, how my life should be lived and led, I would have missed out. I'd have missed out on seeing people come to faith in Christ. I would have missed out on deeper spiritual friendships than I'd ever had before. I'd have missed out on being used by God in the lives of other people to grow and encourage them. And most importantly, I'd have missed out on experiencing God himself. Now, I'm not saying that I'd fail to be a Christian, but I'd have missed out on a life-changing opportunity with Jesus. So here's the bottom line. Again, if you want God's power in your life, you must want it so badly that you're willing to live in weakness in order to have it. Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. So you must want it so badly that you're willing to, To go to a weak place and stay in a weak place and live in a weak place in order to experience God's power in your life. And don't hear me saying that when you go there, you've earned the right to God's power. We never earn anything from God. But God chooses to give grace in the midst of weakness. And grace is not opposed to effort. We have to choose to go there and stay there and live there. But it is opposed to earning. So we don't earn anything, we, we just exert effort, and then we experience, in God, we experience God as we exert that effort. So if you want that, if you are a Christ follower, God has put it in your heart to want that, to want him above all else. And as we engage our weakness and walk faithfully with God, we should expect suffering now, glory later. I'd never heard that phrase till I went to seminary, and then my professor was like, yeah, it's basically the summary of Jesus' teaching, the summary of the Christian life. Suffering now, glory later. So we're walking through 2 Corinthians, and today we're going to find six expectations of what a suffering now, glory later life looks like. So 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 15 is our passage today. And Paul starts in verse 7 when he writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing greatness of the power will be from God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what was written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe Therefore, we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. All this is for your benefit so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So last week, we talked about the glory of God and how amazing it is, how it's beyond our comprehension, but the glory of God can be understood adequately and accurately in the face of Jesus. In personally knowing Jesus, we can actually have a regular experience with God, a daily walk with God, a relationship with God. And we can understand, we can know his glory because we know him in Christ. And this week, actually, I was kind of tempted, like, oh, we could talk about the glory of God again, because it starts with the glory of God. It says, this treasure we have in jars of clay, that treasure is Christ. It's the glory of God in the face of Christ. This verse 7 came right after verse 6. So the treasure is a glory, and then it ends with what? More and more people giving thanks, which abounds to the glory of God. So it bookends with the glory of God again. But this week, I want us to focus on what should we expect? If we move towards glorifying God with our life, what realistic expectations should we have? Because expectations really matter. They shape your perception. And so what expectations should we have if we enter in to this suffering now, glory later life? And so I saw six expectations of the suffering now, glory later life in this passage. And the first one is you should just expect that you don't have what it takes on your own. This is part of suffering now. (laughs) I don't have what it takes. I wish I did. Verse seven, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And you might say, oh, Ben, that's not really nice to say that I don't have what it takes. You don't even know me. Uh, I'm telling you it because it's the truth for all of us and because I care too much about you to think that you do have what it takes on your own. None of us have the power. We are all jars of clay. The jar of clay in the first century was just a common vessel. It was a common household instrument. It was like a spatula, right? If you lose a spatula, break a spatula, you go get another spatula, you shouldn't sweat it. It's just common. But what's not common is the treasure that we contain. This all-surpassing treasure that lives inside of us as believers. It's Christ. So I showed you this model last week, and I didn't end up studying accounting. I ended up studying economics. So when your pastor studied economics, you get a lot of models. So we're going back to the model. Um, and when I say that we don't have what it takes, I mean, in and of ourselves. That's why the the model starts with our relationship with God. Just like Jesus said, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God. That relationship is life-giving to us. We can do nothing good on our own, but in Christ, we have everything that it takes. So we don't have what it takes, we have who it takes. And so I wanted to show you the model to remind you that It doesn't just start at the top by chance. It starts at the top intentionally. It starts when we behold God and he changes us. But that's also connected to everything below it. So no one has what it takes. We have who it takes. And when we move in and press into our weaknesses, when we come out of the bathroom, when you press into your weakness, you can let that be a motivator to how much you need God's power in your life because, because we're sensitive. if we try to hide and be ashamed of the things that keep us inhibited, if we try to hide our weakness, we'll never experience God's power because we'll never be motivated to behold him as he really is and how much we really need him. So the second expectation I saw in this passage is that we should expect this life of suffering now, glory later, It's going to be hard. I mean, it doesn't just say suffering now for the sake of saying suffering now. It's going to be hard. And Paul says this in verses 8 and 9. He says, we're afflicted in every way. That's a pretty broad umbrella. But in case that didn't resonate, he says, also we're perplexed. Also we're persecuted. Also we're struck down. But with every single description, he says, but not in a final and complete way. He's continuing to build on this illustration of a jar of clay. It gets beat up, but ultimately it holds together because the treasure holds it together. So it's hard, and it comes, this hardship comes in many different forms. So when I share my story about my freshman year of college with you, I'll be the first to tell you that that's not how I normally think of suffering. But if it's hard, and that was hard, then it fits. Suffering comes in many different degrees, and everybody suffers. There's no such thing as an easy life. It's only easy. Everybody suffers. For some people, it'll be like me. It's hard to do something that's out of your comfort zone. It's hard to meet new people. For other people, you don't struggle with meeting new people. You struggle with listening. (laughs) For other people, you don't struggle with listening, but you struggle with giving, giving your trust, giving your time. In some way, shape, or form, the, the, the hardship, the suffering, the difficulty, it, it's really about us, though. It's, it's hard for all of us to not be self-centered. And when I say that this is hard, and I believe when Paul says this is hard, hard isn't bad. We think of hard as bad. Avoid hard. Hard isn't bad. Jesus pressed into the hard for the sake of a greater good. He pressed into the cross so that we could see his glory in the resurrection. And that's one thing that my mentor told me, one of my mentors told me a couple of years ago, hard isn't bad, it's just hard. And you can say to someone, I'm sorry, it's hard. And we need those people beside us. But they're saying, I'm sorry, it's hard. I'm sorry, you're going through hardship. But they're not saying, oh, let me help you get out of it. Let let me help you through it. So it's going to be hard. And that leads us to the third expectation, that hardship is not the end. There's more than just life is hard. (laughs) Either get through it or get over it, right? No, hardship is not the end. It's suffering now and then glory later. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, the dying of Jesus. So he's pointing again to the hardship, but he's connecting our hardship to Jesus's hardship, to Jesus's suffering. And the reason we carry this hardship, this death around is so that his life will be shown in our body. And when he says body, he means mortal flesh. And you can see that in verse 11. He says, we're constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus's sake so that Jesus can be shown we're, Being delivered into these hard situations, these hard relationships, these things that are hard just for us, so that Jesus can be shown. And we talked about last week, our role that we play in the glorious ministry that God is doing in the world is to show and tell Jesus. So one way we show Jesus is through suffering well. And Paul points out that Jesus died, he suffered, but he rose again. Suffering now, glory later. Even though it's hard, it's worth it. Because when we endure well, we're changed. We become more like Jesus. We experience resurrection power. And this is part of Jesus' training program for each one of his followers. Maybe you didn't know that when you signed up, but you should have been told. (laughs) Suffering difficult things, so that he would be shown through your life. He is the all-surpassing treasure. And like I said earlier, there's no such thing as an easy life. Everyone suffers in some way. So the question is not how much suffering have you had or are you having, but what are you suffering for? How well are you suffering? Who are you showing to be great in the midst of suffering? What are you willing to make hard choices for? What are you willing to get uncomfortable for and stay uncomfortable for? Suffering has a way of showing what's really valuable to us. So that's the third expectation. Expect hardship isn't the end, but it's, there's, there's more to life than just experiencing hardship. There is a glory. There is something worth showing in the midst of suffering. So the fourth expectation is that we should expect community. (laughs) We're not in this alone. So I don't expect you to read this next slide because it's kind of small, but I like to highlight words when there's a theme uh, in my personal study, and I think it's helpful for you to see. This is where I'm getting this from. I highlighted the us and the you when Paul says us, you, us, you, and other people, like more and more people in this passage. Life is communal. This is a very, 2 Corinthians is a very relational letter. And most of Paul's letters are. And when he says in verse 12, death works in us, Paul is saying, we suffer hardship. And then he says, life works in you. We suffer hardship and you benefit from it. You get to benefit from our sacrifice. And this is the community aspect of the suffering now, glory later life. No one really wants to suffer alone, nor does anyone want to glory alone. It's not really glory if you don't get to share it with other people. So who is benefiting from your hardship? Who's benefiting from your suffering? People don't get to benefit unless you include them before, during, and after your story. Trust relationships help us to endure the suffering now, and they help us in the middle of the suffering to remember that glory is still to come. We have something worth enduring for and worth going through suffering well for. Our community also helps us remember there is no pointless suffering, but it's possible to miss the point. It is possible to not recognize that Jesus is the point of this suffering, showing him to be great. The fifth expectation is that we should expect to speak. In the suffering now, glory, later life, we have a role to play, and we we need to speak. And I get this from verses 13 and 14. He said, Paul writes, But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. Paul's quoting a psalm. He says, we also believe, therefore we also speak. And I'll stop there and get to verse 14 in a minute. But this verse is clearly teaching that what you say flows out of who you are and what you believe. So one of the devil's tactics is to sideline you, uh, take you out of the game, to have yourself, have, have you check yourself out of the game because you're like I don't have what it takes and this is really hard so I shouldn't even make an effort there'd be too much shame in my life to include others I have to get cleaned up first before I say anything that lie is going to make it impossible for you to ever experience real life change when we believe and speak we're not speaking our problems out of existence or acting like they don't they don't happen or they don't exist but this is showing that we actually believe that God is at work in the midst of our heart, in the midst of our suffering. In the midst of what we're uncomfortable with, we believe that God is at work. And in verse 14, Paul hinges what we believe. He he hinges it on the certainty of the resurrection. He says, we believe, therefore we speak, knowing that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is gonna raise us together is going to raise us up with Jesus, but not just with Jesus. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and y'all, a plural you. So he's hinging our belief. He's hinging our speech on our belief and our belief on the certainty of the resurrection and not just being raised with Jesus, but being raised with Jesus together, the final resurrection. We know it's coming. Therefore, we speak now. And speaking is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Even if it's one-on-one, it exposes you. The sixth expectation is that we should expect grace will abound more and more. So we should expect multiplication to the glory of God. And I get this from verse 15 when Paul says, All things are for your sakes. After listing all this, he says, it's all for you so that the grace that is spreading will cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And grace abounds as each person plays their role, as each person shows and tells of Christ in whatever context he's placed you in. I don't expect everyone to go plant a church. I don't expect everyone to go move overseas. It's faithfulness at your post that God's looking for. So let's go back to the model I think that's the next slide. At this point, it's just kind of me and the slides guys improvising a little bit. Um, so this model, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review it, and then I'm going to expand it. So it starts with our relationship with God, as I mentioned, which is a huge reason why we emphasize small groups and why small groups emphasize your personal walk with God, your quiet time, when you get time in his word and time praying. Because over time, God does use those disciplines to change us. And as he changes us, he equips us. He's made us competent as ministers to serve other people. And when I say serve, I just mean show and tell Christ to other people. And some people will say no, because as Paul said in, uh, earlier in chapter 4, some people say no because the devil blinds them to seeing how great Jesus is. Other people will say yes, because in Christ, the blinder is pulled back. And when those people say yes, they become in direct relationship and a right relationship with God. They take take the role of me, and they start showing and telling others as they are filled up and as they are connected to God in Christ. So that's the model we looked at last week. Let's go to the next slide. So... I was trying to think, how can I simplify that model? <laughs> There's a stick figure. It kind of looks like the model, a little bit. It's got some legs on the model. <laughs> Work with me. Work with me. Okay, so when you see the stick figures in the future slides, think of that model. It's not just a person, it's a person in right relationship with God who, out of that relationship, overflows to the lives around them the gospel. It, the good news about Jesus. So let's go to the next slide. And so that person in relationship with God overflows and intentionally invests in the life of one person, one other believer, help them grow in their walk with God. Okay, and it's, it's, it's a mentorship, but it's really a two-way street. I mean, they, they learn from each other, which is why there's arrows on both ends. And so let's go to the next slide. So if he teaches him well, like to fulfill the Great Commission, then he's going to be motivated out of obedience and love for Jesus to mentor someone else. And mentorship can look a lot of different ways. So uh, it's just a simple arrow in this model. But it's a two-way arrow. So he, he invests in someone else. And once, once, his, like, once his friend starts investing in someone else, this guy... Uh, on the far left starts investing in a new, a new man, a new person. So let's go to the next one. And then that new person starts investing in a new person. And this takes time, but this is Jesus' model. This is not easy. This is a model, so it's simplified. But I want you to see it. Let's go to the next slide. If each person just invests in one or two other people, then grace is spread. Like in verse 15, grace abounds more and more so that thanksgiving would overflow to God. So let's go to the next slide. I think there's one more. But the people start getting really small because i run out of room. <laughs> so uh, let's go to the, the, the last slide. And you might be thinking, oh, this looks like a pyramid scheme, Ben. <laughs> I also had someone talk to me when I was a sophomore in college and tried to get me to buy into a pyramid scheme, and if you hear about those, your, your red lights should flicker. they should go off. And mine did. I thought, "Oh, this sounds too good to be true." And it was. I, I didn't do it. But your relationship with God, like a pyramid scheme, a pyramid scheme, it depends it depends on you getting someone else uh, in, invested in it, right? Your relationship with God doesn't depend on your investment in another person. Your relationship with God depends on nothing other than the finished work of Christ. But your relationship with God also produces something. A a pyramid scheme produces nothing other than a financial loss. Your relationship with God produces something. So this, this type of model, it's not just in pyramid schemes, it's also like in... Retirement accounts, compound interest. This is why we're encouraged to invest young or invest early while you're young so that it can grow over time. Investment is a fact of life. We're all investing in someone. So, your life, you're going to put something at the top of your life. I'm not espousing that you put Orchard or me or anyone other than Jesus at the top. This is Jesus' model. He did it with 12. He really did it with three deep down intentional investment. And you can read the gospel accounts and look for that. You'll find it. And you might think, oh, that sounds really great. I would love to be a part of a movement like that, but I just don't have the time. I just don't know how to do that. Uh, The the, the excuses are endless. Believe me. (laughs) I've come up with them. I've heard them. But if you want to build a ship... Don't drum up people to collect wood and assign them tasks. Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. If if you want to build a ship, people have to long to be out on the sea. And I believe that that's God's longing for your life. He wants to use you in the life of another person. So long for that. Be caught up in that grand vision I, I believe, I just play a small role, but if I can be faithful in investing in a few and being faithful to God and to those friends, seeing them grow in their walk with God, how many people would hear the gospel? I don't know, but God knows. And I know that I am forever grateful for the men who invested in my walk with God. This is the model of Jesus. He invested in a few, invested in a few more. And God is the one who gives the growth. I'm just saying, plant the seed. Plant the seed, water it, and trust God. So if you haven't gotten an application yet, or if you're helped by having boxes, um, now we're moving on to the box of application. Uh, and, And the application is simply participate in the model of Jesus. And I'm warning you, it's a suffering now, glory later life but it's a discipleship and evangelism life. It's mentoring and being bold with those that you either don't know that well to know where they stand with God, or you know, hey, they're in opposition to God or they're not interested. And you'll likely feel weak in your pursuit of both of these things. Fair warning. You'll likely feel like you don't know what you're doing. And maybe you don't but you know who's leading you. And we started by looking at the Great Commission. The first five weeks that this church met together in worship, we looked at the Great Commission. We've actually never really left the Great Commission. Um, The reason we did Experiencing God was because it focused on that top part of the model. It focused on how important it is to hear from God, how important our relationship with God is, how everything else flows from that. And now we're in 2 Corinthians because even though we focused on our relationship with God, if we start investing in other people, if we start going down from me to others in that original model, we're going to run into some problems, namely ourselves uh, and the sin in other people's lives, and it's not going to be comfortable, it's not going to be easy, and we have to be convinced that God's power is made perfect in the middle of our weakness. That we as his people are the plan, we are his plan A for telling people about the life-changing work of Christ, the life-changing person of Jesus Christ. He, just, he didn't just die on the cross, but he's actually still alive. He rose again. So let's talk about discipleship a little bit. Another word for it is mentoring. That might provide some clarity all I mean is that you're faithfully walking with another person with the goal of making them successful in following Jesus. Just make them successful. Not financially successful, not relationally successful, although that should follow following Jesus. He changes us. Um, not necessarily finances, though. Don't, you, I'm not saying that. <laughs> he doesn't promise that. I'm, I'm, if you want a mentor, if you want a disciple, first start with being mentored. And then try. Like, just mentor someone. Just get time with them and try to make them successful. You don't have to say, hey, can I mentor you? But if you start uh, exerting effort towards making them successful, mm-hmm. they'll likely follow. <laughs> and just start with one pray and pursue. <laughs> Ask God for his help, for his direction and pursue and learn as you go. The only reason I have learned anything (laughs) in the last eight years or nine years about this is because of pray and pursue. Those who have mentored me I've learned from, and then going out and trying uh, to make other people successful. And I'm still learning, and I hope I'll continue to till I die. We're all learning, but that's exactly what it means to be a disciple. The word means to be a learner. So we just want to invite you to consider learning with us. That's what a church is. It's a community of learners together. And then evangelizing. Whew, that one's not popular in our culture. And it's really, I think, misperceived. It's all, 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 the, all this means is personally and lovingly telling someone else about Jesus. And here's a secret. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to win the argument. One of, I think, my most successful, well, not, I don't know, depends on how you define success, but a good experience was a really bad experience. I went to an atheist and agnostics club with an agnostic friend, and I, I'll be the first to tell you, I lost the argument, but I didn't lose my friend. He was more convinced that there was a God and that God was good as a result of the way that I carried myself, the arguments that I made, and the arguments that I chose not to make or not to engage. Um, Those guys talked over me the whole time. They yelled over me, and I just kept my cool. I mean, I was a little embarrassed, honestly, because I was like, I know this is the truth, and I wish I could have presented it better, but ultimately my friend walked away and he was like, wow, I really don't like what they said. So here's the challenge. If you believe it, why not speak it? Or do you just believe it when it's convenient? Like when you know you'll be accepted. People have always needed to hear this message. They've always needed to hear about Jesus. It's still true today. And I'm not saying the world would change in a week or in a year or even in a decade, but I do believe that the fields are ripe for the harvest if there's workers who are willing. It's not comfortable. It's a suffering now, glory later life. Doesn't mean you have to change your vocation. It means be faithful where you are. Rely on Christ. And in all of these six expectations, I saw the gospel this week. No one comes to Christ because they're good enough. No one has what it takes. It's hard. Receiving the gospel flies against the impulses of every single person's sin nature, our self-justification, our self-righteousness, our self-protection. Who wants a suffering now life when I can have a comfortable now life? But it's possible in Christ. And hard is not the end. Christ overcame death and so we can overcome these little deaths and in him, the big D death, separation from God. It's overcome. We're, we're at peace with God now through Christ. And we do this life together. The gospel isn't a call just to exclusive relationship with God. It's also a call to live in a, in a new people that God has created. And we've, we've got to speak it. So if today you accept Christ into your heart, you tell Jesus that, that you're willing to follow him, that you're turning away from your own life and turning to his life. But also tell somebody else. Romans 10 says, it's in your heart that you believe and you're made right with God. It's with your mouth that you verbalize verbalize it and you're saved. And then be ready for grace to abound through you to more and more people. So again, if you haven't done that so far in your life, then why not today? And if you have any questions about any of this, you can talk to me or just talk to someone you trust. Most likely you came here because you know someone. Uh, Why not today, though? There's nothing better.